I'm Theo. And I'm Juliet. And this is Apologies Accepted. We offer an entertaining look at some of the big issues in history by examining public apologies of the famous and infamous. We're looking at politicians, serial killers, actors, and you. Send us a public apology you would like to make, and we'll read it on the air and give you a chance to redeem yourself or just get some guilt off your shoulders. We're here for you. Once a week, maybe more if you're really, really sorry. accepted the podcast podcast. and i'm not theo and i never have been and i never will be sadly it's a very low bar to becoming theo and you could be (laughs) one tomorrow if you really wanted i'm not juliet and that's a very high bar that i can't jump on (laughs) and we're here to talk about first off the most important part of the podcast is our our lives and of course (laughs) the whole purpose of the show How have you been, Theo? How was your week since we last spoke? Uh, My week was fine. I can't think of anything that I have read or seen that would be of any interest to the public at large. But Mm -hmm. um, remember last week we were talking about, in last week's episode, um, we were talking about using the word crazy. Well, Kevin Day. crazy. Yeah. Right. Crazy. And maybe there are other words to be using. And then we talked about our own relationships with... Um, the word crazy or whatever, right? And so I said, oh yeah, I've got a mild touch of OCD. I thought I would um, share Mm -hmm. what it's a little bit like for me sometimes. So um, I am interviewing for this job and I haven't heard anything back after the second interview. So whenever I am uncertain or things feel unstable, I need to control the universe by yes. doing rituals and bullshit like that, right? So just get right. this feeling like that salt shaker needs to be moved over one quarter of an inch in the next 30 oh. seconds, and I will do that, right? I know it's ridiculous while I do it. I don't claim that it's OCD. I don't have a diagnosis, right? Right. And it's fine because mostly it's just mildly annoying to me. Most people wouldn't even care that I was moving a salt shaker on a store display, um, mm-hmm. maybe behind the counter, but be that as it may. <laughs> so I was doing the laundry. There was a, a little clump of lint that fell from the dryer onto the floor. And my brain said, oh, you know what? The further that lint can get away from the house, the better things will be. Mm-hmm. Three, two, one, go. And so I said, okay, I'm going to throw in the trash and then it's going to sit in the garbage can, which is outside. And then it'll go to the dump and then it'll be gone. And I don't, the dump's far and whatever. Cool. Or I'm in the laundry room and the sink is right here and my hands are kind of full with laundry. And so what if I put it in the drain and then that's fine. Oh, but you know what? It'll sit in the drain. So I should fill up the, what do you call the basin? The basin. (laughs) The basin. So I should fill up the basin. And so I put the stopper in the sink and I turned on the basin all to flush a piece of lint as far from the house as humanly possible because it was going to make everything okay. And then uh, the sink is a little slow. Uh I walked away and I put the laundry away and I sat down and I did some research for the show. And then sometime later, I don't know, sometime later, I got up and I walked past the laundry room and I was like, oh, Henry Pete on the floor. No. No. Oh, no. The sink had overflowed. Oh, no. And it had filled. We've got these cupboards under the sink. And so they've got drawers that pull out and then, you know, shelving. Yeah. So uh, one of the drawers was completely filled. I mean, I'm getting two gallons of water easily in that. Wow. All over the floor, all over the countertop. And um, yeah, somebody spent an hour cleaning up all the water. Yes, but you know what? Did the lint get out? That lint is gone. <laughs> it's so gone. It's so Excellent. gone. And you will notice the world is in great shape. So you're welcome, everybody, once again. Thank you. You're welcome. Yes. So that was my week. Yeah, and I thought I would share since, uh, you know, whatever. That's funny. It's yeah, I don't do anything like that. <laughs> <laughs> well, stupidity on my part, forgetfulness. <laughs> Well, I'm not saying I don't flood things, because God knows I do, but yeah, um, I don't have any OCD patterns like that, um, which is nice, I suppose, for me. 
Um, yeah. So, um, how's the weather in Austin? Is it cold yet? It's it's in between moments of like cool and then hot still. Oh, so, okay. And humid. It's been a very humid year. Yeah, Meh, I'm not a fan yeah. of the Austin summer. No, it's too hot and humid for yeah. sure. So now it's getting a little bit cooler. Well, it's been really warm the last few days here because it's our summertime, but um, it's getting cooler. And when we were, we went up to, um, yeah, so we went up to Monte Rio, which is near Guerneville last weekend to spread my mother-in-law's ashes. Um, and um, the, which you call them, vineyards are starting to change colors for this season, which is nice. It's They just started, so they're just a little bit, little tinge of yellow, which is nice. Um, and I'd like to go back in a few weeks and check out the fall colors because that, that's the only fall colors we're going to see because we don't really have a fall in San Francisco. Uh, so we'll see if that gets to happen. But, but we did go out to the um, park, I won't say which one, and um, distribute friends of mother's ashes which went really well i think it was really nice um it was very beautiful where where we did it and i think she would have liked it very much so all in all it was a successful weekend that's beautiful it really is yeah i think i think it was nice so and and as you know um, my sister died last week which was sort of unexpected she had not been in the best health but we weren't it was she sort of took a sudden downturn and um, died last week and um, so we've got all that going on as well but um, but you know other than that uh, it was an uneventful week <laughs> other than that everything's great <laughs> yeah couldn't be better well it could but uh, yeah so um, not a lot of, of happy news but I'm sure things will be better this week it's already looking like a better week so well yeah. I've got a real tip for you What's go that? to your laundry room right now and collect all the lint. <laughs> Yeah. And flush it in flush a toilet. It. Yes. Okay. You I have will. to flush a toilet several times to get enough water to go to really clear out the lint, but I'm gonna clog up the toilet and then have to Probably. have a plumber come out. <laughs> it's gonna be very expensive. <laughs> so I may not do that. Um, so how about the podcast? Uh, what are we talking about this week? We're talking about, this is part two of our two part series on UFOs. Last Ta-da. week we talked about Kevin Day. And his experiences with the um, the Tic Tac lights that he saw off of uh, San Diego, I believe it was. And um, this week we're going to talk about the Phoenix lights, which were, the Phoenix. Um, the Phoenix lights were <laughs> a series of unidentified <laughs> flying objects observed by thousands of people over Arizona, Nevada, and the Mexican state of Sonora uh, during the night of March 13th, 1997, between about 7.30 and 10.30 Mountain Standard Time. I don't know why I have Mountain Standard Time, because I don't believe any of those places are in Mountain Standard Time. But there you go. So um, there were a couple distinct events that were involved in the incident. The first one was a triangular formation of lights, which passed over Arizona, and a series of stationary lights that were seen in the Phoenix area. So the U.S. Air Force eventually claimed that the second group of lights, the stationary lights, were flares dropped by A-10 Warthog aircraft on training exercises at the Barry Goldwater Range, which, if you'll remember uh, from last week, is the range where my father claims to have claimed to have seen a UFO and refused to tell me more about it um, in southwest Arizona. And that those um, flares were dropped during an exercise called Operation Snowbird. The triangular formation was described by witnesses as a big carpenter square shaped UFO. And that's a carpenter square just basically looks like a right angle, a couple rulers stuck together in a right angle. Um, And that UFO contained five spherical lights or possibly light-emitting engines. So the interesting thing is that the first person who uh, officially logged the sighting of the triangular formation was potentially Kurt Russell, who said he saw those lights while he was flying his private plane. Kurt Russell? Actor Kurt Russell. Oh, my God. Who's dating or not dating Jody? Jody. Oh, my God. Goldie Hawn? Yeah. Uh, Weren't they married? I think they were living in sin. We'll use that term like for 25 years, but they might have been married too. I mean, I honestly have no idea. I I don't know what either of them are up to these days. I suppose just being old. That's kind of hiding from cameras (laughs) is what you do at a certain point. (laughs) Um, And there was a Ridley Scott movie, which I had no idea about that was made in 2017 called Phoenix Forgotten, which was based on the events of the, of the Phoenix lights. Did you know that? No, I did not know that. 
I, I might have to watch it, but I, the reviews are not that great. Oh, I'm sure it's not because you've never heard of it. I mean, yeah. I mean, even though it's a Ridley Scott movie, you'd think I would have heard about it when it came out because I'm totally into Ridley Scott, but who knows? Gotta well, Ridley Scott knows. He was like, guys, this one really sucks. Let's not <laughs> put it out there and be quiet. Let's just put it under the carpet. Yeah. Um, so the governor of Arizona, Fife Symington, um, and, I'm sorry, got to just jump yes. in here, right name, yes. right? What the name, 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 Fife Symington. I mean, it doesn't mean, I mean, let me rephrase that. Of course it means something. It's his name. What a waspy name. I know. It, that is the most country club white bread. And he was. I, I'm too. a jealous, I would love a name like Fife Symington. <laughs> he is related to. A family called Frick, and I don't know if that's the Frick family, but I would not be surprised From because Frack? he totally had. No, not freaking Frick. <laughs> <laughs> the Frick, you know, isn't there a museum called the Frick? I'm, I'm going to be an idiot now, but I know there's Could an be. old family called Frick, and there there's some sort of famous institution called the Frick, and I think it's a museum. But well, anyway, there's yeah, so... no way to ever know. No, there isn't. If I could, could never tell you. Have to go to a library to look it up. <laughs> Just like the good old days. Um, so good old Fife, our waspy governor of Arizona at the time, um, held a press conference a few months after the sightings to announce that his Department of Public Safety had found and arrested the person, uh, the culprit, not person, responsible. And then he brought out his chief of staff dressed as an alien in handcuffs and a glittery pink and silver space alien costume. Which I suppose he meant to be funny, but the people who saw the lights probably didn't think it was very funny. It was really mocking them. It was kind of rude, I think. It was rather startling at the time when it happened. I bet. Because it was was played a lot on CNN because it was funny. Was it? Oh, it was. My grandmother told me all about it. Um, and yeah you know i mean here's the governor like so this is pre-internet 97 or maybe there was the internet but there was whatever with it popular right Right. we didn't have smartphones and your your internet access was probably limited to your job because otherwise it would be like dial-up i think in 97 uh no, I, no, it wasn't. But um, I think it was largely uni- university based, and and probably people's jobs were um, the main way a lot of people got online. But yeah, but I, I definitely had personal internet at that by that time, for sure. I for sure did not, um, and I did have dial up. But anyway, I mean, so the point of all that is that simply, my news came from the news, which meant television news, right? And so for Mm -hmm. something to break through into my universe, because not like I sat down every night and watched the news, I was very busy uh, going out and having fun. I was the oldest, oldest five-year-old on the planet who could drive (laughs) a car and legally drink. So, um, and even I knew about the, uh, the Phoenix Lights because it was a big, giant national news story. So when the governor of the state comes out, really all the cameras in the country, if not a lot of cameras across the world, are going to pay attention to what he has to say about this event that had been in the news cycle for a good couple of months. And what he does is he brings out a guy in a rubber space alien outfit, and it just was the biggest wah wah of all time. So well, maybe not really of all time, but you know, of all time ever in the history of <laughs> humanity, everything, the Titanic, nothing compared to Fife Symington and his rubber alien outfit. So people were actually expecting him to to announce something interesting or mm-hmm. something important, and he yeah. and he did, did this thing with the well, that's ridiculous. What a what a what an asshole! Well, it was kind of one of the first times that a government official used the word flying saucer or UFO. Publicly, um, without laughing. Without making fun. Exactly. Totally yeah. Wow. So, Syfymington si- so, si- so, is an interesting guy. Um, not only was he an asshole and a rich bastard, but he was a, um, a fraud. 
So he was convicted of bank fraud charges. Um, he had a real estate empire which went bankrupt, and uh, the fraud charges came from that. And he was forced basically to resign as governor of, of uh, Arizona. Interestingly, the conviction was later overturned. And before federal prosecutors could decide whether they would retry the case, Symington was pardoned in 2001 by President Bill Clinton, whom he had once saved from a riptide off of the coast of Connecticut what? during his youth. No. Yes. You stop yes. right it's there. It's true. Liar, liar, <laughs> pants on fire. They were on vacation in Connecticut or something, and somehow or other, he managed to save him from a riptide. Unbelievable. I told, Unbelievable. Okay, this is the thing. It drives me fucking crazy <laughs> about flying, the subject of flying saucers because yeah. it, you, any anybody associated with it at all there is some crazy wild unbelievable story i mean yeah. i guess it's not unbelievable that fife symington was friends with bill clinton but well, um, they were both super rich i guess or it just fife and bill bills was president at that point or yeah when when he pardoned governor of um, arkansas symington he was president when he pardoned symington but when he was rescued was he uh, they were both kids they were both kids yeah children well, I'm, I'm I'm imagining teenagers, but I don't know. So that just got a little weirder for me, and here's why. I figured they were both maybe they were both governors, like on some governor no, trip, no, you know, no. like governor <laughs> no. bonding trip no, that they it was do during their youth. But I don't know how young they were. That is that is crazy, isn't it? That it is just crazy. tells you how small the world of the rich is. Really. Well, I was good to say it's a small world, but apparently it's super small if you're rich. And yeah. although Bill Clinton wasn't rich. Uh, he certainly was driven. So, how did Didn't he? Didn't his family have money? No. Oh no, his mother was a single working mom, um, and he might have been illegitimate. Don't hold me to that. Not that that means anything, uh, but uh, 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 huh? Uh, I'm just saying. Let's be careful who we slander on our podcast. <laughs> oh. <laughs> uh, keyword might, and your honor, yeah. this is comedy. Um, <laughs> That's right. I'm sure Hillary's called him a bastard on more than one occasion. But oh oh, thank you, you so much, everybody. <laughs> I'm here all week. That came to me spontaneously. Um, yeah. So anyway, that's totally weird. Yeah, it's totally weird. Um, and the other thing that's totally weird is that Symington is now a pastry chef and business consultant. Shut the fuck up. Which makes me laugh. Because how can you be a pastry chef and a business consultant? But I, if you look around the internet, you see pictures of him. With, he has a cake called the Governor's Cake. It's uh -huh. like this chocolate cake with chocolate frosting. I mean, big deal. But um, yeah, he's he works or worked at I don't know in two thousand seven or two thousand seventeen for this um, Italian restaurant in I think Phoenix. So um, yeah, he's a pastry chef. He, he may be retired by now, but at the time of the article that I read. Um, he was a pastry chef and business consultant. And he has said since 2007 that the lights that he saw, uh, that everyone saw in Phoenix, were actually really extraterrestrial and that he saw a UFO himself that night. He said, quote, I'm a pilot and I know just about every machine that flies. It was bigger than anything that I've ever seen. It remains a great mystery. Other people saw it, responsible people. I don't know why people would ridicule it. I don't know. Well, why did you ridicule it, Fife Symington? <laughs> well, yes, right. And so um, <laughs> let's let's dive in here to this one particular point where yeah. Fife Symington, who I just love saying his name, who did make fun, in my opinion, for sure, absolutely did of uh, of the concept that oh, this was aliens, right? Um, uh -huh. By bringing out his whatever his. It's not Secretary of State, but like his, his assistant. His chief of staff. Thank you. Something like that, right? Yeah. And so um, there is a docuseries on Showtime called UFO by J.J. Abrams. Slightly problematic there, but hey. Yeah. And um, the first episode, which is available for free online, uh, it's Showtime's way of hooking you in so that you will think, what a great program. I have to see more. Um uh, so what am I saying? I'm saying that the first episode was about the Phoenix Lights. And I was like, okay, it's free and Phoenix Lights. This is easy homework. Let's go. So uh, in an on-camera interview for the UFO, Governor Fife yep. Symington recalls his own experience seeing the object saying, 
I turned around and this great big delta-shaped thing came out of the northwest and headed down towards the southwest valley. It was really eerie. It had embedded lights. I always referred to it as otherworldly. I'd never seen anything like it. We made serious inquiries asking the Air Force, what did you find? And then the Air Force told them about Warthog. I think they're helicopters, but some kind of a plane uh, had dropped flares. And uh, Simonson says, I'm a pilot. I knew they weren't flares. Flares don't do what those lights were doing. Plus, the problem is that the timing, the Air Force says the flares were at 10 p.m., but the lights were out at about 8.30. The official response was completely bogus. A governor has no power over the Air Force or Luke Air Force Base. I couldn't do anything more than ask a lot of questions. It's very difficult to deal with the federal government. And then he continues, It was a tumultuous time for me politically because of all the fraud stuff that was coming out. I decided to lock it away and not talk about it. One of my favorite techniques. Yeah. Um, it seemed to be the prudent thing to do. It got John McCain involved. McCain was told the Air Force doesn't go into UFOs. Um and then, of course, we have what uh, is now called in ufology the alien caper, which is where the governor comes out and then his chief of staff comes out dressed as an alien and in mm. regards to that moment. So in the series, that one of the producers asks Symington, like, okay, now we're going to talk about the press conference that you held and some of the people's you know, public's feelings around that press conference. And mm. he says something like, well, you know, that was like 20-something years ago, and I don't really remember a lot about it. And they hand wow. him a laptop, and the producer says, here, refresh <laughs> your memory. <laughs> Which I'm like, I like you. That's, that That's is smart. Um, and so the governor says, I issued a call for an investigation by the Arizona Department of Public Safety. And I'm, oh, no, I'm sorry. Um, that was, that's what he was saying in the clip, Right. Yes. Uh, so in the clip, he says, I issued a call for an investigation, blah, blah, blah. Um, and I'm happy to say we were already getting results. Let me just say that it is a serious offense for anyone, human or space alien or otherwise, to engage in mysterious activity in our nighttime skies. We may all look upon the guilty party. And then that's where the guy shuffles out in the alien outfit. And Symington says, right. don't get in too close to me, please. And then he turns to the press because people are laughing. A lot of mm -hmm. people in the room are laughing and he's laughing. Mm -hmm. And he says, this just goes to show that you guys are entirely too serious. He claims that that was uh, done in order to diffuse hysteria and says, right. I'm sorry if it offended some people, but it was a lot of fun. Now, huh. Yeah, I know. Right. Um, okay. So on. So what? The Phoenix Lights were March 13th of 97. I believe so. On March. So in this documentary that I watched, because, you know, I have to mention this part. Um, mm -hmm. An anonymous caller the night of March 14th, 1997, called into Coast to Coast. Ooh. Yes. And this is what the anonymous caller had to say. At 8.15 at Luke, maybe I'll do it like him. I'll try to do yeah. it. I'll do it like him. Here's some acting. Okay. Okay. Get okay. ready to hire me, Hollywood. At 8.15... No, kidding. At 8.15 <laughs> at Luke Air Force Base, the two F-15s that we keep on ready were launched because all hell broke loose, basically. They encountered something over the sky in Phoenix. They don't know what it was. One of the pilots stated they had a visual on it. They've got gun camera film on it. They have no radar tape of it. It scared the hell out of them. I've never seen this man scared. He saw five distinct lights in a triangular pattern. He doesn't know if it was one aircraft or several aircraft. He's just scared to death. He's not sure what it was. When they landed, the base was, we had a complete lockdown. The facility was closed. That was the end of the call. And by the way, there wasn't uh -huh. any acting. Um, uh -huh. And uh, I was like, huh, this caller seems to know a lot about the emotional state of the pilot. Yeah. So yeah. is it the pilot? Could it be the pilot? Could yeah. it be the pilot? Or is it a fraud? Is it somebody just calling, right? Because Well, that doesn't happen on Art Bell's show. No? Okay. You don't get frauds. They're all real. Well, I mean, I'm going to I'm gonna guess a lot of things about um, the Art Bell show. And it's like, what do I really know? But I would imagine they knew where calls were coming in from. I don't know. 
know. I mean, I know they had two lines, one for East of the Rockies and one for Calls from West <laughs> yeah. of the Rockies. <laughs> but I don't know if they actually knew where the call was coming from. Oh, okay. That was, that was a while back that they may not have. Well, they might have because uh, I worked for a company that had its own phone system and we knew what we saw the telephone numbers of every call coming in. Oh, did like you? Area code and the number itself. Yeah. But you know, okay. okay, we'll just say whatever. I just thought oh, it was no. funny that like, oh, an anonymous caller and somebody who knows <laughs> so much. The I've never seen this man scared. Oh, you yeah. followed him around his whole entire life. I mean, I get you've never Maybe. seen him scared at work, but um, yeah. okay, yeah. whatever. So Spooky. you know, interesting. But what I find really annoying is that in, was it 2007? Yeah. Fife Symington is all, yeah, I saw it. Yeah, it was aliens. But for 10 years, super quiet. A bunch yeah, of nothing apparently out of Apparently, he never said anything until 2007. And I guess that was a documentary that brought him brought it, brought his story out. Um, but he said in, uh, in the CNN interview that the craft he saw was enormous. He said, it just felt otherworldly. In your gut, you could just tell it was otherworldly. And uh, a guy, a Tucson astronomer and retired Air Force pilot, James, I don't know how to say his last name, G-A-H-A, McGaha, said he investigated two sightings over Phoenix that night in March the 13th and traced them both back to A-10 aircraft flying in formation at high altitude. He said it was clearly aircraft information flying at two different times and then dropping flares. And it's clear to any rational person that's what it was. Symington is not a trained observer, and what he feels in his gut doesn't make any difference. Ah, but he was an Air Force pilot, and he also exactly. was an officer in the Air Force. So yes. maybe he's seen a flare. Maybe. Maybe. He probably knows what they look. I mean, here I am defending him, but, you know... Um, Boo on you, Fife, for making people feel they were crazy and then running out 10 years later and screaming, me too, me too, I saw it too. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. It's it's all very mysterious, I think. It is all That's very insane. mysterious. Um, very mysterious and then riddled with these weird synchronistic moments and, and events, you know, a governor is saved from, or future president is saved from drowning by a governor of a state who's going to need a pardon after this UFO event happened in my city. And the fact that this this governor was an officer in the Air Force and had seen flares, um, to me, I don't want to defend him again, does lend credence to the fact that he knows they weren't flares, Right. But at the same time, within this whole UFO subject, there are all these just goofy um, moments or events that are, are synchronistic. So you've got um, a future president being saved by a governor as kids, as future governor, right? So Symington saves Clinton. And then you've got the Phoenix Light incident where Symington says, oh, I saw it for sure. But then he has, but he doesn't say that he, you know, he's saying that ten years after the fact. In the moment, he sees it, and in the moment, he says nothing. And then he has a press conference, and then he brings out a guy dressed up as an alien, which just pokes fun in the whole at the whole thing, right? And then he goes up before fraud charges, and I think he served two years in jail. But then he's pardoned by Bill Clinton. And it's very easy for conspirators to point at that event and say, aha, uh -huh. Symington was told to defuse the situation and to make fun of it and debunk it. And he did what he was told to do. And therefore, he got pardoned by the president for his fraud charges. Right. And then 10 years later, after he's already been pardoned and he's safe, he can come out and tell the truth. Yeah. Right. And so it, it's just this whole subject matter, so much craziness. And at the same time, um, you know, OK, sure. Yeah. If it hadn't been for the Phoenix Lights, I do believe Symington would have been pardoned by Bill Clinton because Symington saved Clinton His life. as a yeah. kid. Yeah. 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 I hear you. So um, an interesting aspect to this whole thing about defusing and not defusing and 
uh, distracting from something that else that might be happening. The drive.com, which we talked about a little bit last week, um, which is the, the automotive website that for some reason inexplicably has a section on UFOs, speculated that the government is attempting to cover up current research and government technology. And of course, this wouldn't be the first time the government used UFO stories to hide actual government research. During the Cold War, according to the drive, the government, well, not only according to the drive, but uh, we have we have um, articles and, and papers that actually show that the government actively lied about UFOs and perpetuated UFO hysteria to cover up its secret aircraft programs. In a 1997 New York Times article, William Broad reported that in the darkest days of the Cold War, the military lied to the American public about the true nature of many unidentified flying objects in an effort to hide its growing fleets of spy planes. And a CIA study says that the Air Force knew that most reports by citizens and aviation experts were based on fleeting glimpses of U-2 and SR-71 spy planes, which fly or flew, I suppose, extremely high. Um, the study says over half of all UFO reports from the late 50s through the 60s were accounted for by manned reconnaissance flights. This led the Air Force to make misleading and deceptive statements to the public in order to allay public fears and to protect an extraordinarily sensitive national security project. So um, the U.S. government literally spread disinformation to the public in order to create a cover for the clandestine weapons systems in development or operational at the time. According to the drive, we are once again now back in an age of great power competition, according to the Pentagon, and billions of dollars are being pumped into new technologies that were considered exotic themselves just years ago. With this in mind, reanimating may be the best and most broadly self-perpetuating cover story of all time for sightings of clandestine an aircraft that people see in the sky seems like a highly logical and proven act. So the New York Times also says that alien visitation was a helpful theory to explain away top secret programs developed near Roswell and in Nevada's Area 51, where the Air Force and the CIA developed reconnaissance programs intended to look deep into the Soviet Union. In the 1950s, the CIA reviewed the test flights of the U-2 planes and then A-12 aircraft in the 1960s and found that about half of UFO sightings, as I said, were attributable to those top secret programs. And that comes from uh, Chief CIA Historian David Robarge. So um, even Edward Snowden looked into this and admitted, uh, I guess he had, had access to a bunch of information. He looked into it to see if there was any evidence of UFOs. And he said, for the record, as far as I could tell, aliens have never contacted Earth, or at least they haven't contacted U.S. intelligence. Also, according to Snowden, the moon landing did indeed occur. And in case you were wondering, man really did land on the moon. Climate change is real and chemtrails are not a thing. Uh, I'm so, going to say, go if ahead. I could hack into a government secret anything, even if it right. was like the IRS, the first thing I would look for would be UFOs. Mm-hmm. Sure. I mean, what else is there to look at? <laughs> There's nothing else I would even really care about. <laughs> <laughs> we all want to know about the UFOs. What's up with the UFOs, government? Right. So apparently, <laughs> the story is now that um, there are no UFOs. The government tried to make us believe in UFOs in order to, for us, not us, meaning the U.S., but also the world at large, not to know about the um, the secret research that was going on to protect us from, from foreign governments, um, which we were potentially or actually at war with at the time. Yeah. And uh, the, a good point is made by uh, a guy who's an expert on government secrecy at the Federation of American Scientists named Stephen Aftergood, um, who talks about the risks of indulging too deeply in unproven conspiracy theories. He says, we are gradually losing a consensual view of reality. We cannot practice the discipline of self-government when people start to adopt widely disparate views of what is real and what is true. So it's a serious problem. It's not just a curiosity like UFO sightings have been in the past. And I think that really talks to a lot of the conspiracy theories we're seeing now that have to do with COVID-19 and vaccinations and basically everything that's going on with the right. Um, it's, a, as he says, it's definitely a serious problem. It's definitely a serious problem. And and yeah, and there's a lot of intersection in these uh, different conspiratorial lines of thinking. So, you know, yeah. one person who believes in QAnon also, sorry, I'm going to go to Bigfoot. We'll also believe in Bigfoot, right? Uh -huh. Or in gray aliens or lizard beings. Like, you know, it's, yeah. it's not a far jump to go from Hillary Clinton is eating babies to Queen Elizabeth is a lizard woman. Yeah. Yeah. 
I think the lizard people is my favorite conspiracy theory. I'm a little afraid it really of it is. because it could I be. I love that one. <laughs> it's, it's a thing that could be. <laughs> well, they all could be. But that one really could be. And then it's scary. So, no, I don't like that one. <laughs> yeah. So, the moon landing occurred, though. We can all agree on that. Oh, for sure. Yeah. I mean, duh. Um, <laughs> yeah. So, ugh, can't even think about the world anymore. I've been actively not reading news uh, stories that I know are going to push triggers. Yeah. Push triggers? push buttons or trigger me um and so and it's because of this stupid conspiratorial stuff Uh uh-huh yeah is there anything that bothers you about it particularly uh just just the level of crazy like how could anybody so willingly believe something without any evidence yeah you know oh yeah because it feels true you can you get evidence on uh, Google. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, you can you can get anything on Google. You truly um, can. Yeah. So let's talk about um, Fife Symington. So his apology, you said, I, I totally did not find an apology from him of any kind. Um, but you mentioned that there was a sentence somewhere where he sort of sort there, of apologized. There is, yes. So it's um, what we can call in the in our canon. An implied apology. I see. Um, and so in 2007, Symington decided that it was finally safe to like start speaking his truth. And he appeared on the Larry King show to talk about the Phoenix Lights. Uh, and for our Gen Z listeners out there, um, Phoenix, Phoenix Lights, Jesus, no. Um, Larry King was a talk show host in the evenings on CNN. He had a very popular show, and he had a passion for UFOs, and he approached mm-hmm. it from a very scientific angle, and he would interview, upon occasion, he would interview very serious people about the subject of UFOs. And one of those people was Fife Symington. So Symington was making his big debut on the Larry King show. It was a big deal. And he wrote a... Um, an article for CNN to publish on their website, which was a thing that in 97, nobody really still was quite sure what to do with. Um, And so Symington says, in 1997, during my second term as governor of Arizona, I saw something that defied logic and challenged my reality. I witnessed a massive Delta-shaped craft silently navigate over Squaw Peak, a mountain range in Phoenix, Arizona. It was truly breathtaking. To my astonishment, this apparition appeared. This dramatically large, very distinctive leading edge with some enormous lights was traveling through the Arizona sky. As a pilot and a former Air Force officer, I can definitely say that this craft did not resemble any man-made object I'd ever seen, and it was certainly not high-altitude flares because flares don't fly in formation. The incident was witnessed by hundreds, if not thousands, of people in Arizona, and my office was besieged with phone calls from very concerned Arizonans. The growing hysteria intensified when the story broke nationally. I decided to lighten the mood, um, to lighten the mood of the state by calling a press conference where my chief of staff arrived in an alien costume. We managed to lessen some of the sense of panic, but at the same time upset many of my constituents. I would like now to set the record. Here's where I feel the apology is uh, being given. And mm-hmm. where it's very strongly, like, you, you got to reach here for it. I would now like to set the record straight. I never meant to ridicule anyone. My office did make inquiries as to the origin of the craft, but to this day, they remain unanswered. Uh, and then he goes on for a couple more paragraphs talking about flares and how he doesn't believe they were flares and that he's not the only person in government um, to have... Uh, witnessed the Phoenix Lights or to believe in UFOs. Um, He says, I know that I am not alone. There are many high-ranking military, aviation, and government officials who share my concerns about UFOs. Um, While on active duty, they have either witnessed a UFO incident or have conducted an official investigation into UFO cases relevant to aviation safety and national security. By speaking out with me, these people are putting their reputations on the line. Um... And then kind of a bunch of nothing after that. Sorry to kind of let it trail off. Uh, But he concludes, 
What I saw in the Arizona sky goes beyond conventional explanations. When it comes to events of this nature that are still completely unsolved, we deserve more openness in government, especially our own. I will add an addendum onto that and say, and especially from our political leaders in Mm -hmm. the moment, Fife, not 10 (laughs) years later. That's right. Thank you for your patriotism and your your heroic work. I mean, what were they afraid? Everybody was going to run out in the street and scream, oh, there's a UFO, and they quit believing in money? I mean... <laughs> Probably. I don't know. I don't, I don't know. I don't get it. Yeah. Uh, if you listen back to our Orson Welles podcast, you see there's some um, confusion of as to how much panic there actually was in the streets the nights of the War of the Worlds. For sure. Uh, and broadcast. at least one mother with a shotgun and a bathtub and her kids, so... <laughs> I'm sure According that happened to in Phoenix too. <laughs> Probably. <laughs> but that's a, that's an interesting podcast to go back and listen to if you haven't had a chance. Oh, and that reminds me. We have a 50th um podcast. <laughs> a, a, a one year anniversary podcast coming up. When yes, is we do. that? Do we do we remember when that is? We well, okay, so there's a lot to ask. There's a lot of different answers just like okay. the UFO subject depending on who you ask when and where. So is that okay. the date of our first published recording or the date we first recorded? Because I think that's that's in the past. I don't know. I think we started in August. Um, the published one, I guess. I have to look. We'll have but, to go back and look because yeah. it may be very soon. And we're going to do an awards um, an awards podcast, giving ourselves awards. <laughs> well, awards to to people who made apologies. I mean, we could give ourselves awards all day long. I, I think they should be to us. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure there'll be a segment where we award ourselves and each other. <laughs> but uh, yeah, I'm actually very excited about the upcoming award show. And I hear that Britney Spears will be making an appearance. Oh, my God. Uh, we should get Billie Eilish because she's our most popular uh, episode so far. She so is. So spread the rumor that Billie Eilish will be here. And I'm going to say, I wish I had known or I wish I knew as much about Billie Eilish as I embarrassingly know about flying saucers, <laughs> because I could have brought a lot more to the table, but no, and I know an embarrassing I think that was an interesting amount of flying episode. saucers. So um, I, I enjoyed that episode. But okay, so let's rate the apology from Fife Symington. Okay, yeah, easy for me. Um, what do you give him? I, you know, two... Yeah. Like super low. I don't want to give him a one um, because he is opening himself up to public ridicule by coming air quotes around coming forward. Um, right. And he didn't have to. Right. Because apparently nope. he's a pastry chef and he doesn't need yeah. money. No. So they're rich. And there's no money to be made in UFO stories. So that's um, true. Yeah. You know, I, I two. Thanks for coming forward and speaking your truth, but a little too late. And also, um, you kind of say that, well, while it wasn't meant to ridicule anybody, it was funny. Right. That's just just ridiculous. And also, you don't use the word I'm sorry, and you're not really apologizing, but I'll give you a two. Okay. Well, I was going to give him a two. it's so low because he made he really made no apology for mocking the phoenix lights and the people that saw them even though he later claimed to have seen them himself but i decided to take away the two points for the apology um because i wanted to deduct any points that i gave him because he was potentially part of a cover-up of government technology yeah he gets zero points okay i'm on i'm on board with that um and I think it's nice that we're both back in sync. The Michael Shaban episode really troubled me because I was so far. And oh, yeah. Also, uh, the French ad one, or I was, you were like, oh, forgiving. Oh. And I was not. And so. Um, Which one? The, the French ed one. Um, French hello, ed? Brain. Text ed. Because I'm so clever, it's like sex ed, but it's text ed. And it's the French publisher, Ellipse, who did the oh, yeah, CIA yeah, yeah, yeah. caused 9-11 um, right. study guide. Well, it wasn't really a study yeah. guide. It was a card and a study guide, but, you know, whatever. It was whatever. a card in a, in a textbook, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um, flashcards for 
Western civilization or something. And hey, so speaking of Western civilization, I wanted to take a couple of quick moments and share some of the related research to UFOs that I found interesting. And to to do this big reveal, I've got to build up to it. So get ready. We're going to look at uh, very quickly. uh, This is by no means meant to be uh, what exhaustive, right? Yeah. Uh, But so and so UFO fans, I'm really sorry. We just can't get into the whole history of UFOs. There's books. There's movies. This is what I got. Right. So this is a real brief history of government um, investigations. So the government officially started investigating UFOs in about 1947 with something called Project Saucer, which was later renamed to Project Sign. And Project Sign started with a belief that we were seeing Soviet aircraft, but their final report, which they released in 1949, stated we couldn't determine an origin. So a year, kind of the same year, 1949, Arguably, Project Sign became Project Grudge, or a new department was opened up, a new program was opened up called Project Grudge. Uh, It was a one-year program that took about two years to really wind down, so it ran from 1949 to 1951, and its mission was to alleviate public anxiety over UFOs and persuade the public that UFOs constituted nothing unusual or extraordinary. So... The findings of Project Grudge, there is no evidence that objects reported um, upon are the result of an advanced scientific foreign development, and therefore they they constitute no direct threat to the national security. Um, And you'll hear that a lot with UFO programs um, and the final analysis of the U.S. government. Like, there's no threat to national security. Not saying nothing's there. We're just saying there's no threat to national security. Great. The next finding they released was all evidence and analyses indicate that reports of unidentified objects are the result of misinterpretation of various conventional objects. So, well, you made a mistake. You were wrong. A mild form of mass hysteria and war nerves. Individuals who fabricate such reports to perpetuate a hoax or to seek publicity. And psychopathological persons. So... There's four points. One of them is, oh, honest mistake. And the other three are, you are fucking kooky, right? (laughs) Or varying degrees of that. Uh Um, Okay. So that sort of concluded Project Grudge, but Project Blue Book started in 1952. And I was real excited because in July of 1952, there were a bunch of UFOs that appeared over the White House for a couple of weekends in a row. It's called the UFO Flap of D.C., um, so that big conventional, if they were flying saucers, they would land on the White House lawn. Well, apparently they flew over it a couple of weekends in a row. Um, wow. so, and I thought, oh, wouldn't that be great if the UFO flap in D.C. in July 52 sort of sparked up the Blue Book? But no, Blue Book was uh, in full swing by April of 1952, and the UFO flap uh, in D.C. was in the summer. So... Blue Book looked at over, uh, Blue Book ran from 1952 to 1969, and it looked at over 12,000 reported sightings, of which 701 remain unidentified. Okay, so cool. All right, great. Those are the three official programs that the U.S. government acknowledged until uh, 2020, until last year, when ATIP was acknowledged. And we're going to move into that. Okay, so... Um, Government, moving forward along, I'm sort of loosely building this disclosure timeline. Um, So in 2013, the U.S. government finally acknowledged that Area 51 was a real U.S. government base. Prior to that, hard to believe Gen Z, but the government denied that Area 51 um, existed at all. Mm -hmm. Um, And then in 2017... And to be very specific, on December 16th of 2017, Senator Harry Reid sent out a tweet. It always comes back to Twitter with us. And he said, if anyone says they have the answers, they're fooling themselves. We don't know the answers, but we have plenty of evidence to support asking the questions. This is about science and national security. 
if America doesn't take the lead in answering these questions, others will. That was in regards to flying saucers. Mm-hmm. So we're going to state again that that was December 16th of 2017. I would like to jump forward three years in time to December 16th of 2020, when the New York Times releases an article about ATIP, which was the Advanced Aeronautic Threat Intertanker Protocol. I forget what ATIP stands for, but um, it had a $22 million budget and had been running for over 10 years. And it was a secret U.S. government program to study flying saucers. Advanced Aerospace Threat Identification Program. Thank you so much. And so a tip, yippee skippy. Um, and that's what started a lot a lot of people in UFO in UFOlogy, UFOlogy will say, ah, we can point to December 7, December 16th, 2020 as the day disclosure first began. Um, it's interesting that that's the same day, separated by three years, that Harry Reid sent out his tweet about flying saucers and the need to actually investigate them. Um, so ATIP was born out of a program that was created by a billionaire named Robert Bigelow. And Robert Bigelow um, has a lot of interest in the paranormal and flying saucers. Have you heard of Skinwalker Ranch? Of course. Oh, okay, cool. Um, for those people, who, I think we talked about it in our last episode too. I don't think we did, but go ahead. Okay. Well, I mean, you you tell me because you're, of course, like I've heard of it. I sort of loosely know what it is. It's some ranch that uh, some ranchers said had a lot of paranormal activity on it. And supposedly the Indian, the local Native American tribes believe that it's a sacred site that is kind of cursed. It's uh, near Ballard, Utah. It's 512 acres southeast of Ballard, and it's a site of paranormal and UFO-related activities. And uh, there's a Navajo legend about skinwalkers, which are scary-looking creatures, I guess. Who can change their Um, shapes. Yeah. So uh, it's also called Sherman Ranch. I guess that's its original name. I don't know who owns it. Not as cool as Skinwalker Ranch. Not as cool as Skinwalker Ranch. Not even half as cool. And it's still owned by Robert Bigelow. Um, so uh, so Bigelow is, has an aerospace company. He is a billionaire or wait. almost a billionaire. Oh, wait. He sold Skinwalker Ranch in 2016 to Adamantium Holdings, a shell corporation of unknown origin. Da-da-da-da. Da-da-da-da. <laughs> Probably owned by Bill Clinton. Um, <laughs> Could be. Well, there was that big dump of uh, financial information that happened over the weekend um, of like shell companies and rich people with overseas stuff. Right, so right. Maybe there's a, maybe there's a way maybe to get we'll to that. Maybe we'll find out now. Yeah. Um, so Bigelow has a big interest in flying saucers and everything paranormal. And he bought Skinwalker Ranch so he could conduct scientific experiments his real, real goal is to prove that there is life after death. Um, sure. Hey, let's please do find out um, and then tell me all about it. Uh, let's see here. And so uh, we'll kind of leave it at that because I've got my my big reveal. And there's just so much with Bigelow and ATIP. ATIP is the um, organization that Lou Elizondo uh, ran, or you have to say now, claims to have run because there are people out there that will tell you there's no real proof that he ran the organization. Um, I don't know. I believe him. Uh, and so let's see here, because there's such so like a tidal wave of stuff and um, you can find out all about it. But what I want to do is uh, finish this up by taking us back to the very beginning of UFOs and a pilot named Kenneth Arnold, who on June 25th in 1947 saw nine lights over Mount Rainier, Washington. And he sent a sketch of what he saw to the Air Force. And I never knew this. He was later invited to Hamilton Field Army Base in California 
and given photographs of a similar object. Uh, hmm. Lieutenant Donald Springer gave Arnold the photos as a courtesy for the assistance he had given military intelligence. The photographs were taken two weeks after his own encounter. They were photographed by a guy named William Rhodes, and they were photographed over the city of Phoenix. Ooh. And the local newspaper published a photo on July 8th, 1947. Oh. Well, that's sweet. Then July 8th of 1947. Oh, and it was the first photograph ever of a flying saucer, right? Wow. Because they hadn't been really known or identified until Kenneth Arnold um, sort of accidentally gave them their moniker of UFOs, right? Yeah, flying saucers. 1860s, 1890s, sure, there were airships that were seen over the USA. They were called airships. And it's believed now that those were mostly stunts pulled by local paper, and they were kind of pranks done on competing ta- with competing papers in other towns to see if, oh. like, oh, that town picked up our story and they saw a flying saucer. Uh, there's a big one that happened in Texas, which, uh, oh, God, I forget, the, the Aurora. Um, and there was a, an airship crash in 1870, and the town people came, and they uh, recovered the poor guy from the airship, but he died and he was buried in an unmarked grave, but given a Christian funeral. And this all appears in the local newspaper. And mm. people are like, what, how, why, what, blah. <laughs> and um, there's one resident who of the town who survived, um, I'll say, into the modern age. But uh, mm-hmm. he gave an interview and said, no, that was just a stunt done by our local paper on the other paper in the other town. We hated that other town. Those guys sucked. But let's go back to <laughs> William Rhodes who took his uh, took the first official photograph of a flying saucer, and uh, it matched Kenneth Arnold's drawing, right? It yeah. is what Arnold drew. Now, yeah. Arnold's drawing, I don't know if it was published in newspaper, so I won't say that. Um, but what I can say is that uh, poor Mr. Rhodes was expecting a lot of, oh my God, the first flying saucer photograph? You're amazing. But that never came because his story was published on July 8th, 1947, the same time that newspapers reported, same day, that a flying saucer had been um, recovered by the U.S. government off of a ranch in Roswell, New Mexico. Oh. So his story was eclipsed by Ross fucking well, New Mexico. Right. Interesting. And it just gets back to that whole thing of like, if I was writing a movie about, oh, flying saucers and how they're discovered and where they, I would never do this kind of a storyline. Yeah. yeah. Who would fucking believe it? <laughs> there you go. That's Truth crazy. is stranger than fiction. That's wild. Yeah. Man. I think man says it all. <laughs> <laughs> I want to go now and research Skinwalker Ranch now that you've reminded me of it. So maybe oh. there's an apology in there. We could do something about that. I have Who spent knows? two weeks with there's, UFOs. and you, Are you done? You no, oh, no, no. I could, I could do more. but um, <laughs> We could be the UFO podcast. I, my, my brain, I don't know how they do it. I was listening to a UFO podcast called The Black Vault for research yeah. for this program, right? And, yeah. And everybody, the UFO topic is very self-indulgent, as every episode is. But this one's, like, yeah, yeah. very self-indulgent. Yeah, um, yeah. And I'm going to say he takes a very, um, very realistic approach to the subject matter. And I've mm-hmm. listened to a couple episodes. And midway through, I got bored because nobody was taken aboard a ship. Uh, no lizard people did any talking. It just, there wasn't enough story in it for me. And it's yeah. very factual and it's very well done. And enthusiasts will be like, oh, no yeah. romance, no romance at all. Ah, disappointing. Yeah. So that was um, the fun of Art Bell is that there was so much that was left undiscussed and, and there, there were, there was nothing was real and no one really knew what was true and a lot of speculation and, uh, a little bit of, of common sense, but not a whole lot, just enough to keep things interesting. So we all miss Art Bell. Yeah. Yeah, I do. Um, yeah. he had a really good show. He had a great way of taking nothing and making it. He was it a great broadcaster. Something. Yeah. 
Yeah, he really did. So do we have a who's sorry now this week? Oh, who's sorry now? Um, I do not. I'm sorry to say I have not had a chance to prepare a who's sorry now. And I could not think of one today. Well, that is quite all right. I don't have a UFO you. related one. Um, do I have anything related to Phoenix? Um, no, because I did my one apology. It was semi-related to Phoenix. Um, I should be sorry. We could skip it this week. Or I could just say, I'm sorry for all the water I wasted. Um, <laughs> flushing a piece of lint. Drowning oh, this works because it's conspiratorial <laughs> slash woo-woo slash kooky. Going back to yeah. our... Yeah, so... I'm I'm very sorry that I allowed my neuroses um, to have a parade in the laundry room, <laughs> and um, and yeah, it was a lot of water. It was a lot of fucking water. Damn. Yeah. Well, I'm sorry that happened to you. I'm sorry you made that happen to you. I know that's it exactly. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry I made that happen to me too. <laughs> and James can never All listen right. to this. Um, episode because oh you didn't tell him of course not oh my oh, god I wouldn't either <laughs> oh guess how crazy I am <laughs> oh that's funny well at least he works outside the home every so often so he's not there wondering what's that sound of he running water goes nowhere near the laundry room so I'm oh, totally okay. safe <laughs> I'm broadcasting from there now <laughs> all right well, all right everybody. everybody for listening we appreciate your time as always been a pleasure and uh, next week will be a mystery topic yes we will Possibly see an awards show we don't know <laughs> <laughs> we're gonna do some counting <laughs> goodbye everyone all right bye everyone listening to Apologies Accepted, the podcast. You can find links to the articles and the sources in the show notes. To submit an apology or find out more, visit us at ApologiesAccepted.net, where you can also find our merchandise. We're on Twitter at Apologies Accepted. And on Instagram at Apologies.Accepted. You can support our important work at Patreon forward slash Apologies Accepted. And fuck Facebook. <laughs> Bye. <laughs> Bye. <laughs>